dreamy, dulcet tones of the tragically hip and the lonely end of the rink from the album World Container. Lyrics on that one really resonate with me, Mike Heike. I hear your voice cross a frozen lake, a voice from the end of a leaf, saying you won't die of a thousand fakes or be beaten by the sweetest of deeks at the lonely end of the rink, you and me. You know, when you can work in the sweetest of deeks into your lyrics, you know you got to hit it, there. It's a song <laughs> about goaltenders. It's a perfect song about it's goaltenders. It's the lonely end of the rink. Yeah, I like it. Oh, I love it. I believe they call it the tools of ignorance. <laughs> you call it that, not me. <laughs> Uh, welcome to another week of Rinky Dinking. Uh, it's great to see you again. You're resplendent in baby blue. Why, thank you. As we uh, record this one. Uh, last night, Stars dispatched the Edmonton Oilers 4-1. to And prior to the game, there was a, a wonderful tribute to George uh, Herbert Walker Bush. 41. 41. Uh, and I, when he passed away, it reminds me so... Uh, everyone's talked today about that kind of the end of a uh, generation really yeah. of that type of human being uh, selfless and family nice person uh, did so many things in his 94 years on Something planet earth like that, i think yeah. it was and i was trying to think of if, if there was any tie-in whatsoever to the world of hockey and the only the one there is for me back in 1991 i'm playing 90, 1991 i'm playing in hartford and I'll, I'll never forget. It's like yesterday. We're playing the L.A. Kings and Gretzky in Hartford at the mall. Yeah. And that was the night that the Gulf War broke out. So everyone kind of, you know, was on edge heading into it in that. We go out for the uh, first period. And when we came in after the first period, it was on. And I mean, and CNN was in its full glory then. Nobody had ever seen a televised war. Right. And we went into the training room. This is back when, I mean, there was one television, I think, in our room, and it yeah. was in there. We went into the training room, the entire intermission. Like there, there was no game planning, strategizing, anything. Everyone just sat in there and watched that. And then it was like, guys, two minutes, we're back out. Out we went, back onto the ice, played the second period. Second period ends, into the training room, entirety of the second intermission, same thing, just glued to that thing, and went back out and played the hockey game again, finished up, and of course, after the game, boom, back in there and, and watched that. And it was, it was just the weirdest uh, of times to have that going on at the same time that you're trying to stop Gretzky and the Kings. <laughs> you know what's funny about all of the past for us is that we were so united. Like, I mean, we didn't. You didn't have the internet. You couldn't find all this stuff on your own. You had to find a TV. Right. You had to gather around. It's the same thing. Things were scheduled. Uh, watching Christmas specials or movies or whatever. You watched them as a family. Uh, you watched things as a team. Uh, today, what would happen? Everybody go their separate ways, get on their phone, communicate with people. Oh, they'd all pull their phones. Yeah. And, yeah I mean, and then they start tweeting friends and, you know. They'd be in their own little cocoons. It, it, it is an interesting change. How the millennials seem to be ruining our... Uh, we'll get to him in a while here, in millennial musings. But, it, I mean, things like that, they do. You yeah. remember him forever. Yeah. He's a good man. 
Yes. Very good, man. Uh, why are there no young goaltenders in the National Hockey League? Just switching gears here back into our little sport. It's weird because we hit a stretch there where the best athletes were starting to become goalies. Well, you got 6'5", athletic. I mean, Ben Bishop's a fantastic athlete. Uh, I don't know why. It's an interesting question. Um, is it too difficult? Is it too expensive? Is it just... I, I, well, it started to change when they no longer took goaltenders in the first round of the yeah. draft. I mean, there were, there were guys that went in the top 10 or first overall. Marc-Andre Fleury, probably the last Our of those. Kari, second overall. Yeah, right, right. And I don't understand why. I, I debate this. Is it just habit now? Is it just there, – there's no real reason. Here, here's my – Here's my baffling uh, issue with it right now is that it's easily the most coached position in our sport. Yeah. And they're, I think it's because they're so coddled, they're so coached, that when you ask them to kind of start figuring things out on their own, they struggle to do it. Now, at the position, you don't have anyone to bail you out. I understand right. that. You always, you're a young defenseman. You have a partner. You're a young forward if you're a center iceman they can put you on the wing there's not as much responsibility you still have two line mates two defensemen behind you and a goaltender in behind that so I get that but some of these young guys are are so ultra talented and yet everyone wants them to bide their time in the minors for a little bit and then and then come and and play but by then they're they're probably a backup first and by the time they become a number one, they're past 25 for the yeah. most part. Well, and, and for some of them, it's worked. I mean, Marty, I think, is a, the best example of a guy who bided his time, hit his prime at 26 or 27, and, and was good for five years or six years, and, and that was a great career. Right. But and, why does it take till 26 or 27? It's an interesting question because you look at guys like Dryden or Waugh who were just talented and thrown into the, the mixer. Uh, Cam Ward. Uh, you know, wins the Stanley Cup. Uh, Matt Murray, you know, they can't. There's one from this generation. I know, but I'm just saying they can handle it. I think we just don't think they can handle it. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe. I mean, like the, the thought process is, I mean, Jack Campbell here, you know, oh, well, he needs this, and then he needs this, and then he'll need this, then he'll need this. And, you know, you keep stacking these stairs in front of him, and it becomes a really high climb. I just find it weird because you, you hear over and over how this is, this is a young man's league now. Anybody in a hockey department and management now will tell you, you know, it's a young man's league. Right. Unless you play goal. Yeah. What, what would be the average age of a starting netminder in the National right Hockey now? League right now? Yeah. Um, 27, 28? Oh, it's older. Older than that, you think? That may They may just get started at 27 or 28. Like, it, it might start with a three. Yeah. Yeah, you start looking I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened with that. They, they should be able to step in right now. Yeah. And play that position in this league. I think it's the desperation. Like, the only guys who would ever get a chance is if two guys got hurt in front of them. And then they just came in and just seized the day. Um you know, like I said, Cam Ward, that was – nobody thought that was going to happen. And it just kind of came out of – I think they were down two games in the series or something like that. But nobody even does that anymore. No. Yeah, you're right. They, they just wait for their wait for their 33-year-old backup to come in. I, I have this theory. We'll move on. But I have this one theory on on uh, 
why why it's easier to suppress your young netminders as opposed to maybe players in that. So you, you see a guy like like Miro Haskinen with us. Right. You say, well, he's 19 years old. You know, why can't a 19 year old or 20 year old netminder just step right in and and play like this? For the most part, that age of goaltender is uh, gonna play in the minors over here. Like they put them in there and get adjusted to this and that. Prior to that, they're playing either in college or they're playing in uh, junior hockey over here. Now I know there's still some good young goaltenders that have been brought up either through the KHL or or through the Swedish Elite League or Finnish Elite League or whatever. But it doesn't seem as many of those. So when Miro comes over, he's played against men. It, right. He's essentially played in the American Hockey League, although it's in Scandinavia. Right. Whereas your your netminders, it seems, all need to play in the American Hockey League and sort of percolate in there before they get a chance in the NHL. That's an interesting theory. What did they do with Vasilevsky? How old was he when But he, but he had Ben Bishop there. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. He was a backup was, first. Yeah, he was a backup. But he was a backup at 20 But I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, a guy who just And I guess in. the reason it, it it comes up and this was even prior to the uh, general manager change in Philadelphia. If Carter Hart if Carter Hart can't go straight from junior to the National Hockey League for the Philadelphia Flyers, I don't know who is going to. Right. Cuz they're a masked disaster at the position and have been for a while. Yeah. And injured, and he was the most dominant player at his position on the planet coming out of junior hockey. I mean, when he was playing in the WHL, it was him and then everyone else, right. and it was a massive drop to everyone else. When you get to a, and again, I think Philadelphia started the year with higher ambitions than what they have now, but when you get to that place, could you be, could you have a Troy Aikman season where you just throw the kid in there and if he just, Tanks, he but tanks, they don't and you do that at I know, that but, position. But I'm saying, why wouldn't you? And I'm agreeing with your because then argument. The, the, the argument is that they're they're so worried about the the fragility of the mentality of a young netminder. Well, isn't a quarterback the same thing? Well, I was going to say, I think they're worried about their job, <laughs> and every single GM thinks they have to, you know, that, win, win the that Stanley is Cup. the most salient point of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, like they, I can't, think you're right. They can't go through a season where the goalie just learns. Yeah. They it's have, a will-be blanket. Yeah, they have to win every Get game. Get me a 33-year-old free agent goaltender that made some saves along the way, and that's my will-be blanket. Yeah. Mm. I like that. You mentioned uh, Dryden, and uh, I, have a, I have an excellent trivia uh, nugget from the great one that I mined yesterday when uh, the Gretz was in town. You were just having a confab, just a little conversation? Yeah, it was good to see Wayne it really was he looked good he looked it looked funny did you see that shot of him amongst all the <laughs> fathers it was the dad's trip for the Edmonton yeah. Oilers they're all wearing those orange jerseys it stuck out like a pylon in American Airlines Center last night and there in the middle in a suit is Gretz yep. <laughs> not, so not recognizable at all so I, I bump into him and I asked him because we had a, uh, a specialty graphic we call it in the business that's yeah. Pulling back the curtains. Dot com put that together for he you. He did. He did. We, two games against the Oilers, we didn't get it in. Now it, it involved McDavid, so you can understand why it didn't get in last night. But it was the for the Oilers the fastest to 100 goals uh -huh. in uh, Oiler history. 
you'd never guess who's number one. Hmm. Mess? <laughs> no. I don't think he was even on the list. <laughs> I think it was like uh, Yari Curry and Glenn Anderson, uh, McDavid, obviously, in 230 games or something like that. And then Gretzky was obviously number one. Yeah. But I asked him about it. I said, do you remember who you got your 100th goal against? He goes, was it you? <laughs> I was just like, God, no. And then we got into a conversation about Eddie Balfour. And uh, and then he, he his eyes lit up. Because for a long time, Eddie Balfour was like the only goaltender he'd never scored against. Oh, really? And it meant something yes. to the Eagle. So he, tells, he told the story about when he finally scored on him. Because I said, well, me, you never scored against me, I told him. And he said, uh, I said, me and Eddie Balfour. He goes, no, 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 I scored on Balfour. <laughs> and so he tells the story. He said, Eddie got scored on, and he just went nuts, to the surprise of no one. Right. Threw his stick in the corner and threw a little mini tantrum, but he got his goal against him. So then he follows it up, and he says, uh, "Do you? here's a great trivia for you. Do you know the goaltender that neither myself nor Gordie Howe scored against? Wow. Hall, gonna, Hall, of Fame, Hall of Fame goal. I'm going to guess Ken Dryden. Yes. How would I ever guess I don't that? know. I had a poster on as well. But I wouldn't. I, when I was a kid, I had a big Ken Dryden. Po- no, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when Dryden only played for eight years. Yeah. So when he was in the National Hockey League, Gordy was in the WHA, <laughs> and Dryden retired in '79 after the Canadians won another cup, just as Gretzky was coming into the from league. The Indiana Racers. Or yeah, whatever. from from the WHA into the National Hockey League with the Edmonton Oilers. So. Dryden never Dryden never gave up a goal to Gordie Howe and Wayne well, Gretzky. Right. He was a great one. The lonely end of the rink. We'll press on from goaltending. Maybe we'll move to Sea Island, Georgia, and talk a little BOG straight ahead. So, the BOG... The uh, Board of Governors are meeting in Sea Island. Hockey Town? I dropped into this summer. It's a beautiful place. Wow. G. Ford to... Uh, you did not. Yes, I did. Oh, oh yes, I did. Oh, that's to be Daryl Ray for just one day. Oh, that's how I roll. Anyway, uh, at the Board of Governors meetings, first order of business came out. The cap's going up to $83 Three. Million? Yep. Which helps general managers throughout the National Hockey League keep their star players. When you look at it, like twenty six of the teams are like within five hundred thousand of the cap right now, or whatever. They need that room. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'll keep a nice gap, though. They won't spend oh, right no, to no. the eighty three million yeah, next they'll, year. They'll be very frugal. How about this? Uh, I was perusing uh, the Twitter sphere. If Seattle is awarded, if Seattle is awarded the thirty second NHL franchise. I think it's. it might have already happened, did it? 11 o'clock. Is that when it is? Anyway, uh, it's the second time the city's been approved as an expansion team. In 1976, the expansion fee was? $16 million. $2 million. <laughs> $2 million for the expansion fee. Is this $600 million? But they couldn't find the money. Oh, my gosh. It's six hundred and fifty million. Yeah, and that is thirty percent more than what Vegas paid to enter the NHL a year ago. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Oh, the expansion vote uh, unanimous. 
What a shocker. So the Stars are supporting this. That is, a sh- that is a shocking piece of news that has just come in. Even the Vancouver Canucks are supporting the Seattle franchise. So more to just the fee to join the party. So when the Minnesota Wild and the Blue Jackets came in, they paid a combined $160 million to join. They were the 29th and 30th teams. That was back in 2000. And uh, so the Golden Knights in Seattle will pay a combined $1.15 billion to come in. That's it's, just, just it's a good investment. I think Tom, Tom Gillardi's uh, done a good job. Yes, buying he's got to be happy stars. with that investment. In between, the Jets paid $170 million in 2011. It's, it's shocking. I mean, the next... If there's a next time, and they can't keep just keep doing this, right. can they? I wouldn't think. I wouldn't. Although, it's almost like a piggy bank. <laughs> well, and they keep talking about <laughs> Europe an and everything like that. Yeah, so who knows? Uh, but if they if they did do it again, I mean, if this keeps working, it's gonna it's gonna be a start with a B. Yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm being handed information. Uh, this is exciting. He, uh, he's like Walter Cronkite. Yes, Will it's just, there's news coming in as to who will coach the the Seattle team. They want to call the Metropolitans. I like a that lot name. of people. Um, Seattle Millionaires, I think, was a was the original. Yeah, although I guess you call it billionaires. I guess what? they could just start it with a B. Uh, anyway, they're coming in. So with that, somebody has to leave the Pacific. It's pretty obvious that since Seattle is on the Pacific Ocean. I think it's referred to as the Pacific Northwest that uh, somebody's going to have to. As strange as you say that, the alignment of these leagues. Oh, I know there's big arguments <laughs> like, in the Eastern like, Conference about. Was, wasn't Tampa Bay in the in the Stars division when they came in? I don't know. These, I swear they, they have they issues were. out east right now as to uh, who or whom should be in the Atlantic. Right. And most of the teams that are in the metropolitan aren't in any kind of metropolitan area. But anyway, (laughs) it is fun. So the Coyotes, it's believed, are going to come to the Central Division. Yep. Which, understandably so, they're not thrilled about. When they look at the Central right now, they're like, uh, I like our chances of being a playoff team sooner in the Pacific uh, than I do in the Central. But it seems... It, it seems the right thing, does it not, for yeah, them? Yeah, you have to geographically do it. I They're think that's a desert. smart... Yeah. It, it's a tough one because, you. I mean, like, even when Detroit was in the West, that seemed silly, but that's geographically how you had to... It's the Eastern time zone that they I live know. in. I <laughs> know, and, and they were playing playoff games in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, that's the NHL. Yeah. You get you do what you got to do, but yes, they. I think they definitely have to... To come into the so the stars will no longer be the only in, in the only seven team division in the National Hockey League going forward. There'll be eight. It'll be balanced on both sides, and uh, the stars wish right now they could go back to the Pacific. That was a funny thing going back and forth in the day. Like they didn't want to go out to the Pacific because of the time zone, and then they went out there, and then that ended up being the most competitive. Uh, division. Wherever they go is the most competitive See, division. See, they just they bring they bring compe- they, competition. One of the, with I think them. one of the most one of the more amazing things that's gone on in the history of the Dallas Stars is just how successful they were dealing with that travel and those time zones and playing in the Pacific. Yeah, like they won five Pacific titles. Yeah, and that, it wasn't easy at no. all. 
And it, it, I will say this, back in the day when we were traveling, you were just like, this is kind of fun. I mean, I, it was hard. I agree with that. But they never had any trouble winning in California. No. They just went out there and had a great time and enjoyed it. But the Those time were pretty good shark teams back oh in the day, gosh. too. Yeah, I don't know who was running the sharks back then. I remember when we used to go in there and we'd tease them about their cute little divisional title banner they had up there. They had one. That's sweet. They won a few Dick Dillmans, though, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, not enough. Speaking of sharks, a former shark is going to join us as we uh, tick forward in rinky-dinking this week. One of the most holiest of segments in our podcast world, Holy Puckaganda, is up next. Some sweet lead-in right there. The great Tom Holy has joined us on the couch uh, here in the green room uh, for another installment of Holy Puckaganda. Tommy, what you got for us? Well, hey, guys. Great to see you. Well, that was insincere. <laughs> it was with a wink. But today, we're going to get tricky with Dickie. Should we just restart? Or are we going to continue on after that? I guess we forge ahead. Why do those crickets come everywhere I am? <laughs> I don't get it. All right. Jason Dickinson. He's been establishing himself on home ice in a rather fierce way. On the year, he is tied for ninth in the league in home plus minus with a plus 10. But really, that's all come in his last eight home games where he's a plus 10. And in those eight games, he's got a point in six of them. He's got eight points over that time with four goals and four assists, and he is the driving force behind the Dallas Stars, I would say, is their 6-1-1, and and they've won in all six games in which he's gotten a point. Is he the straw that stirs the drink? Wow. So all those other guys, Ben Sagan, Radulov. Anton Hudobin. Yeah. And hmm. it, it's all Jason Dickinson. See, we if we would peel back the onion – the way that Tom does, maybe we would better well, understand the sport. I'll say this. Impressive young man. I Tom? like him a lot. No. <laughs> no. Jason Dickinson. Oh, yeah, he is. He's a good player. He, he's going to look like he ran face first through a rose bush by the end of the season. He's taken some damage. He's cosmetically different now than he was at the beginning of the season. Every rose has its thorns. It's true, but we don't do a lot of hairband rock on the podcast. And chicks dig scars. The True, also. Uh, he's done the majority of his scoring at home. His only road goal, I believe, was the winner in Washington, wasn't it? Yes. This Nailed is Stars Aganda, and I we're just talking about home talking? stats, Daryl. Oh, this is just home, home stats. Is, talking, oh, Homer. This is a positive thing. This is, this is what happens when you don't come on the road with us very often, Tom. You know Baker was calling. Yes, I do. I do. Uh, that That is turning out to be, and this is no major slight to Val, but it's, he's turning out to be the better of the first-round draft picks yeah. from that draft. At least right now. I mean, it's... He's having an impact. It's not just the offense. Uh, Monty's put him into a role where he can kill penalties. Uh, he can take on top center icemen head-to-head when we're on the road in that vein. 
And as Tom eloquently pointed out, uh, he is driving this machine on home ice, uh, at least popping some offense. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is that we've got guys like Brett Ritchie, who I think came through last night, and Julius Honka, who hasn't come through at different times. <clears throat> and when you talk to Jason Dickinson, he made the decision, this is all on me. And, you know, he, he literally sat there and said, if I make this, if I don't make this, it's my fault. And I think that's an interesting mental uh, change in a, a young athlete. And we've seen an incredible amount of determination from him since that point. Like he was talking in preseason, like, I get it. You know, if I go back to the minors, that's my fault. If I don't make it in the NHL, that's my fault. It's a pretty strong statement to say, you know, to the media at that age. Well, I think a lot of times it's the maturation of a young athlete when they get to that point where they stop blaming coaches, management. They're not getting a chance. My agent, I'm going to switch agents and do this and do that. And they just look in the mirror a little bit. I think two things happen with them. They have this epiphany where they realize through a, just a modicum of success that they can do most of the things, if not all the things they did at lower levels at the National Hockey League level. And there's a lot of guys that, that have deep respect for the league. And I remember when I was at that point, you almost disbelieve that you're good enough to play in that league. And when you are there, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm in the National Hockey League. Um, it was funny. Like, Louis DeBrusque, who does games for the Edmonton Oilers, was telling the story about his boy, who's a terrific player yes. for the Boston Bruins. And he, he was laughing as he's telling the story. But he said he, he talks to guys during the game, like, and he tells them straight up, like, you were my favorite player growing up. He was playing against Crosby. Hey, he's Mr. Like, Crosby. He was like, yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. You know, you were my favorite player growing up. And I just want to tell you that it's just like, uh, you know, you, you sit there and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, you're in the National Hockey League, act like it. But they don't. It's like you're kind of a big deal in my little world when I was 14. Right. And now I'm here on the ice with you. I think they get to a point where they move past that and they see themselves. I deserve to be here. I belong here. And then they start doing things that Jason Dickinson's doing. It took me two years in Dallas to get to that point with Razor. I don't think you're at that point yet, I think Tom. you should call him Mr. Razor. I suppress you as I impress you and distress you. Things, those sound like kiss lyrics. But he never gets to the I'll caress you and give you a hug because we're not there yet. Moving on. Uh, very quickly, uh, before we get to our millennial musings, and it's a wonderful one this week, too, in a multi- uh, screen world that we live in uh speaking of the coach of the dallas stars i know it's early it's extremely early but if he continues this going on and with guys like dickinson expanding themselves and with this cobbled together defense core holding together he's in the first 30 game conversation for coach of the year is he not yeah i definitely think so and then when you're here and you see him, and he's just so calm, which that's, you know, we go back to the players. Well, what's it like for a coach? 
you know, you're out there matching wits with, you know, Mike Babcock or whatever. And I mean, that's got to be a challenge. And they've had some rough moments here. And he could have easily panicked, and he just doesn't. And I like the way the fact that he uses Rick Bonus or he uses Stu Barnes or, you know, he uses Todd Nelson. Well, and, you know, I think that's important for that's him. That's where I, I think the actual award is a little antiquated, right. Coach of the Year. I mean, it was brought in when there was one coach. Right. Your head coach didn't have assistance in that. And it, it really is a shared responsibility that goes on. I mean, you just mentioned it. Yeah. Every staff nowadays, there are four guys on the bench. There are four coaches on the bench, and then as we've seen this year with the stars, there are there are two video coaches in behind. <laughs> that's right. You know, like that. That's yeah. that's a five person coaching staff, really, yeah. in a lot of ways. So it, it's it's bigger than just the one individual, but he's the guy that sets the tone. And Tyler Sagan was telling me yesterday that I asked him the difference between playing for Hitchcock and playing for him. And every coach passes along something yeah. to a player. You absorb something, you learn something. And he said the thing that, that he's gotten from Montgomery is a conversation, like a two-way, give and take with him. And he said, it's almost like having a teammate coaching me. You know, Not that he doesn't get on me no. from time to time, but it, that's what it feels like. It almost feels like friendship. Uh, and and a, a veteran teammate that is coaching our hockey club, yeah. and it's working with this group and with this generation right now. So you know, I think he's there. He said one thing to me that I really liked, and that was, "I am open to everybody's opinion on things." And he goes, "And I am confident that I will make the right decision." And he really like he'll take all that information from everybody, but he understands he's the head coach and he has to make the final decision, and he's comfortable with that. And I'm making the final decision now to end this and move forward. The mind of Jeff Totes in Millennial Musings after this. Totally. Totes my goats. Cool. Yes, Totes. Welcome back. Totes my goats. I love this. What do you have? What do you have? What's on? What, what's in that mind? What are you unlocking today? <laughs> okay, so one of my favorite things about getting to travel with the team is seeing every other arena's jumbotron show and their game presentation, and I think it's really interesting. To Why see. do we call it jumbotron? Is that still the name? Oh, you, you, ready, you ready for a nugget? Yeah, please, Jeff Totes, everyone. So Jumbotron is a technology invented by Sony in the late 90s, really hasn't been in use since about 2005. It's now Dactronics video boards. But the word Jumbotron is a prop proprietary eponym, which <laughs> is a term used when a specific brand becomes the default name for a product, such as Kleenex. Band-Aid. Proprietary eponym or genericized trademark is Jumbotron. Wow. See? We're Mind gonna be okay. Minds. Our world's gonna be okay. I agree with you. That that's what's coming down the pipe. That kind of knowledge. That's pretty good. Sound I didn't even it. know that. Yeah. And I know everything. So <laughs> that's my nugget for today. So what about Jumbotrons? We might take it for granted in Dallas. We have one of the best Jumbotron shows in the NHL. And when we go to buildings that don't have something on that level 
it really detracts from the atmosphere. And I think the entire game presentation aspect can make 18,000 feel like 8,000 or 6,000 feel like 12,000 uh, when it's done correctly. There's some great ones and there's some really tough ones and we have it well in Dallas. So what are some other upper echelon in arena shows that you've seen? Uh, so far, well, I always like what the Kings do at Staples Center. Um, I liked what the Devils did this year in Jersey. Those I, you know what? The game was a rumor. Right, in, right. In you were so Jersey. far off. I'm not sure what went on in Jersey. <laughs> you were above the board. <laughs> Worst press box in the National Hockey League for watching a game. We're, I think we're so far above the, the actual screen that I couldn't see the screen. But are you aware of it in games? No, I don't. I, no. I, I bow out of this conversation because I'm, I'm doing pretty high-level right. uh, broadcasting this. during any of the shenanigans and hilarities that go on in arena. I'm, we're oblivious to it. I, I, I hear it all the time after. You, you see what they said, and I'm right. just like, uh, no, you know, I worked during that portion of it. Uh, the players seem to enjoy it a little more than they did in past well it's funny i was talking to some of our guys about it because i mean we in particular do some pretty goofy bits with them and at times it's shown in game when they're down there on the bench so are they i asked devin about driving with devin the pm stanley spot that's pretty goofy and uh, he said as soon as he would hear the intro music, he would have to tie his skate every time. <laughs> tie his head and everything. Bend Find down, some kind of distraction. Fumble with his skates until it was over. Um, so they're very aware of it down on the bench. And it's, it's a difficult angle at, uh, on a bench for a lot of, uh, in a lot of arenas. They've, they've started to put those screens underneath yes. of the great big monstrosity. I think Barclay at, started at, that. At actually. the middle of the rink yeah. so that guys aren't, craning their neck straight back to try to see what was going on and they can just look at the far side of the the screen underneath uh but it's funny because we'll we'll sit there and watch him and there's this cacophony of sound that goes on as soon as action stops and it makes it difficult for coaches to coach right and for the most part everyone just kind of sits there although montgomery goes he pulls that whiteboard out and they're after it but for the most part, you just see guys just locked on to whatever's going on up there. And there's not a lot of reaction from them. They just sort of absorb it, and then they go back to their own world, I guess, and move on. The Stars do a good job of engaging the enemy. They did that last night with that penalty box shot with yep. the Three's Company uh, song when they had uh, three uh, of the Edmonton Oilers in the penalty box. It was pretty funny. Uh, and I like – I actually like the boorish – amateur Nashville engaging of the enemy. And one of my favorite bits is uh, my daughter and I used to watch SpongeBob all the time, and they have a great uh, uh, segment where they make fun of Texas because yeah. uh, Sandy's from Texas. And so Nashville and L.A. have pulled that out before. Where And it is, it's a funny segment, and you let SpongeBob be funny for you. And uh, I remember one of the very first bits uh, that, was, that was done in a foreign rink was it Minnesota? I don't know. Where, I do you the San Jose one where they threw Eddie off well, the roof? Well, that was maybe over. <laughs> a little over the yeah, top on maybe. that one. No, but there was somewhere where they could put a, uh, a CGI guy in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, remember when that first came out? That, yeah. So the guy, it would be a guy dressed up in a star's uniform and everything, and he'd go into the penalty box, and you'd swear, like if you weren't really paying attention, you'd think it was – it was actually happening and people would be looking down like what 
because the guy was being a moron right. in in the box, and then you realized that oh. thing was some kind of a CGI presentation that went in there. And I think teams are trying to do what you want them to do, which is entertain and be a little bit goofy. But man, that is a fine line. I would think the Jordy Ben goal. Well, you're just kind of. <laughs> what's the difference between funny and distasteful, or or funny and fired? <laughs> you well, know? Or, or what if you uh, what if you inspire the other team to really get fired right, up, and, right. and then they want to right. beat the heck out of you? I don't know how much of it's consumed down yeah, there. It's interesting. It's funny too because the tone of the show correlates to how much of I guess a traditional hockey market you're in. And when we're up in right. Can- when we're up in Canada, right. it's a full pregame show at a desk just analyzing that night's matchup Correct. and stuff like that. And then you get down here and it's a bit more entertainment based. Well, I think it's probably changing even at that. I remember back when there was a hard and fast theory amongst uh, NHL teams in Canada that all they really had to do was open the doors and, right. and let people in. I mean, they didn't right. have music. They didn't have music. It was just, no, the game sells itself. You talk to each other during the stop. And then the players would just be like, you kidding me? Like, our atmosphere is antiseptic here. Like, it's awful. So they've they've probably moved the most toward a U.S. product and how things are done. Some of them, they try too hard, and they fall really flat, and it's just horrible. Like, it's a car crash up there. The ones I do see are pregame. Yeah. And some arenas just think louder is funnier and better, which nope. is never the answer. You know what would be really neat one day would be to have a, a throwback day, not for the whole thing because I think people would go nuts, but if you just if you took a period or half a game and said, we're going to rock the, this thing back to what it was, yeah. people would be stunned at just how flat, dull, the in-arena experience would be... Could you imagine if you went back, you took all the advertising off the boards, you took uh, any ability to run a replay or a funny bit on there, and you just had the time, uh, the score, and put up penalties when they were happening. No music, just an organ. Just have an organ. I like the organ. I do too, but could you imagine just having an organ nowadays? And no fights. I mean, back in the day, you had the fights to keep things. That's true, <laughs> true. But it would, you would sit there and want to be entertained. Yeah. And I think the the one final thing I'll say about what our group does is, I remember when they built American Airlines Center, and they were talking about putting monitors at every seat. Do you remember that? Yeah. They they wanted to put. Uh, this is, I mean. What, 18 years ago? Yeah, it's yeah. probably Mark Cuban inspired. Yes, right. but the, the idea was that you were going to put uh, some kind of a small screen where people could watch replays and that. Just think of how far technology yeah. has come. And the argument back there then was, well, if you do that, then people are going to be on their screen and they're not, they're not going to be watching what's going on here or consuming sponsorship or whatever's going on. Can you imagine... That what naive thinking that was. Now everybody walks into the game with one of these. I mean, there's a second screen no matter where you're at now, and certainly in a game. So my point being, the the job of your in arena crew now is to get people to look up from their screens. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like you, you have to do something that catches their attention, that they do not just immediately go. Now they're still going to do it, but make them look up. Yeah. 
That's why I scream and sometimes use vulgarities on our broadcast, just to make sure people are paying attention. Wake you know, them this, up. This is a this is a circle of life moment here because as we talked about earlier, when you had to sit there and watch a TV show or watch something all together, watch a news program. Well, this puts the arena together. Instead of you staring at your own phone, you're all staring at that screen together. Mm. And Jeff Danby is making us one big Jason, star. Jason, Jason Danby. Danby. Sorry, sorry, Jason. And uh, <laughs> and so, so you have that. Everyone seems to be enamored with the in arena in Vegas where we're heading this week. With it's good. I mean, they have a drum line. It's awesome. Okay, I'm. Uh, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I don't fully love it when that. <laughs> act is going on before the game it's not for me i get that so i can tolerate it but there are times when i i'm just like i don't know i don't know i really don't know you know the old fans when they started playing music they're like yeah these kids and their music i don't know it's not for me so what do you think will happen with bruckheimer coming in in seattle will there be bombs going off and it'll be an action film it would be funny if he just starts making his own films for the hockey team well you don't think that's going to happen yeah, he of course would. it is tom cruise will be coming in you'll <laughs> <laughs> be repelling down right. doing his own stunts Drop of course the yeah of course well of course he does his own stunts all the time that's a good one that's your best Musing ever in eight weeks or whatever we've done. And the vocabulary that uh, helps Say it us again. Know that what is that? nugget. A uh, proprietary eponym. Is that the entomology of in arena effects and activities? Yeah. I'll leave you with this. I, you know, I don't even want to... I don't want to take away from anything like that, but I will tell you this. It takes five years to make a bottle of Tabasco sauce. Talk to you next week, everyone.